Might have left a little bit hungover, but uh, basically they were all left in good shape. And uh, after consuming a lot of Fuzzy's vodka. Ah, they did consume quite a few of those, yes. <laughs> and guess who took the hit for that, Diane? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, it Daddy took the hit for that. <laughs> yeah, I know it, I know it. Right, so we're going to talk about Vegas back in the day because 83 was the very first year this tournament was held. And at the time, it was such a massive deal because it was the biggest purse that golf had ever seen. That was the largest purse. That's exactly right. That was, uh, as a matter of fact, I think it was the first year they had come back after being away from the tour. Mm-hmm. And then they came back with uh, the largest purse, which is uh, you know, typical about the way Vegas does things. Uh, they like to do things in large ways. It was a, the the total purse was seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, with the winner getting one hundred and thirty five grand. And I mean, the winner was you. It's a perfect story to think back that the first ever tournament in Vegas, with all the hype around it, and it just being such an incredible place to to go and spend some time, it must be amazing memories for you to know that you were that champion. Well, I mean, it was just um, it was great. Uh, you know, again, we played uh, four different golf courses out there. And I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think there's like three, uh, three out of the four are not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Or if they're there, they've had major, major facelifts put to them that I probably wouldn't even recognize anymore. <laughs> but uh, that was kind of a challenge in itself, playing the four different golf courses. And, of course, uh, the last one being at the Country Club. Um, the last, well, we played two rounds at the Country Club. So uh, one during the week and then one the final round. But it was uh, it was a challenge, you know, jumping from course to course, uh, different speeds of greens, uh, well, different everything. Uh, but yeah, it was great. Uh, it was a great uh, a great victory. I enjoyed it. I had a, a great time with a lot of my friends out there that week. And all I know is that it has changed considerably from what it was when I was there. Mm-hmm. Was that tournament played over ninety holes then? It was ninety holes. Yes, yeah. that's a long, that's a long week in Las Vegas. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. You know, you'd go to if you go to bed at like ten o'clock, which is usually my normal time, ten o'clock, and you get back up at six for a seven thirty tea time because you're on the West Coast, and you go downstairs, you see the same people sitting at the same table that you just left like uh, six hours before. <laughs> it, it is different. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's a unique place. And I'm sure in that sense, it hasn't changed. There, there's so many qualities of Vegas that are just transcendent. But what was it like? So, you know, obviously you've got a five-day tournament over numerous courses. It's a lot to prepare for. But how early would you arrive in Vegas then? Well, I got in there on Monday. So, yeah, I mean, you just really couldn't play uh, all practice rounds. So you just try to go out uh to the golf courses and get a feel for the greens. So you do a little putting on the putting greens mm-hmm. and try to get a touch for the putting greens and then rely strictly on your yardages and your caddy's ability to get you the right line, get you the right yardage. What was it like back in the day then? How would you kind of sum up Vegas in 83? Well, Vegas was old time. You know, we always used to stay down downtown at the Horseshoe uh, because they only they played with a single deck. We figured that was our our best odds. Even though we all lost still, we had a blast. Uh, Jack Benyon, uh, who ran the horseshoe at the time, I'm sure he still does, the Benyon family, um, just absolutely took very good care of the golfers uh, while we were there. Uh, again, away, uh, what was it, the Golden Horseshoe or the Golden Nugget, which was right across the street, housed a lot of the golfers. We kind of stayed off the strip only because uh, there's just too, way too much action out there on the Strip. So we all went downtown. That's basically where we stayed at. 
when you say way too much action, is it there's just way too much temptation to take your kind of focus off the golf and enjoy all the fun or too much action in that you guys were very recognizable and there was too many people around? Well, we had plenty of time to have our fun. It's just that you had to do it in spurts. You just couldn't, uh, you couldn't do it for the long longevity of uh, seven days in Las Vegas, you know. So seven days, uh, that's, a, that's kind of an overnight stay. It's a weekend-type place to go. You go out and burn out the first couple of days, and you take one day to recuperate before you come home. But in our case, we were there for seven days, so you had to kind of do it in spurts. If you were going to run hard, run hard early, and then get to bed and get some sleep and get back up and start to golf all over again. And when you say, you know, there was a, a group of guys that you would all hang out together, you know, looking at kind of the big names from 83, like Tom Kite, Johnny Miller, Crenshaw, Tom Watson, Hill Irwin, obviously you, who were the kind of pack that would hang out together then? Well, who was who I used to hang out with? Well, Hubert Green was my best buddy, and uh, we ran together for years out there. I mean, usually where you saw one, you saw the other. That's We played basically the same uh, same tournaments, same golf courses because we enjoyed going to those towns and having having a good time with our friends. Uh, and I'm sure it is. The tour is probably similar to that this year, uh, this, this time around. Uh, the guy, you know, the guys have their group that they like to hang with. But uh, I basically Hubert and I, uh, we'd run our spurts out there. We'd we'd have our good times and we'd crash and burn and go back and play the game and get back and crash and burn again. So. <laughs> Yeah, it was all good time, but we did see a lot of guys that were out. A lot of guys uh, enjoy that, the later evenings. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, back then you could do that kind of thing uh, and not worry about too many things going on. What was it about, like, the Horseshoe and the Golden Nugget and those kind of iconic Vegas hotels downtown that you loved the most? Well, I mean, it was kind of like old-time Vegas is what it was. You know, they're older. They were older establishments, uh, it wasn't the big uh, the big boxes out there that they have now, which is, seemed like everything's at Disney World and walk in the door. This is kind of old time Vegas, you know. The the dealers were still very very personable, and and like I say, we just we enjoyed that atmosphere. It kind of was a slower pace and opposed to being out on a strip. Oh, I sat at the blackjack table most of the time, and it was always by the door. So when I ran out of cash, I could zip back up to the room, get some more, and bring it back down. So <laughs> that's a good strategy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you got you know you got to plan your strategy, uh, and I had a strategy. Once I ran out, I could always go get more. And as it turns out, it was a very fruitful week for you in the end, especially in '83. Oh, it was. It was uh, the great, uh, you know, finishing with uh, the country club. There finishes with a par five and. I remember hitting a tee shot right down the middle of fairway on the 18th hole. And I looked at my caddy, uh, Mike Mazio at the time, and I told him, I said, it's ours. I said, we can handle it from here, bud. So, yeah, it was it was a good time. Good time. I mean, uh, you play that many holes of golf, uh, a lot of crazy things can happen. But, uh, you know, it was just, it was my week that week. Yeah, let's talk about the course then. Would you say Las Vegas Country Club is one of your favorite tracks that you played on tour? Uh, back when, yeah, back when. I mean, it's uh, it'd probably be a little bit uh, too short for the guys the way they play today. But back then, it was it was a great little challenge. You know, most year desert courses are like Florida courses, kind of very flat, and uh, Mother Nature kind of plays uh, the role there with uh, giving you the winds and stuff. But you know, uh, Vegas at uh, that time of year was uh, 
the weather was usually very, very good. So uh, we went, we had good weather all week long. Mm-hmm. And with it being, it was a pro-celebrity classic, so who were you playing with? Can you remember who your playing partners were that week? Oh, I wouldn't have any idea. I couldn't remember. <laughs> My God, it's been so long. Hell, I can't remember what I did just 15 minutes ago, and then you're asking me to go back to 83. <laughs> Hope you excuse me for that, but you know, that's part of age. Well, that's all right. I mean, you remembered the the tee shot on 18, so that's probably... Yeah, hey, well, you always remember the good things that happen at, at, at quality times, and that was one of the good things. I needed a good tee shot, and by golly, I performed. So, did you enjoy like the the pro am kind of setup? Did you like playing in bigger groups? It was obviously slower golf, but in Vegas, was that a kind of special element to it? Yeah, well, I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the uh, the competition part of it. I enjoyed the guys I played golf with. Uh, whether they uh, like, you know, with Greg Norman, we always had a good time playing golf. Mm-hmm. He was a, a very rapid golfer. He was ready to always play. Lanny Watkins was another one that was ready to play. And I really enjoyed playing with guys like that. Uh, not having to look back and say, where the hell are they at? Are they getting the knowledge? What are they doing? You know, uh, those guys are always ready to go. And I enjoy playing golf with guys who are ready to go. Exactly. Well, I mean, that hasn't really changed on tour now. There's a, you, want, you want your guy to be quick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, plus it's a pro-am, the format. So, you know, when you have the amateurs, uh, I think we have three amateurs, three or four amateurs uh, in each group. It just takes time, so you have to have patience too. But uh, yeah, playing with the pros and getting those guys that know how to play the game and play it fast, yeah, it was fun. What about um, the clubs that you would play with back in '83? What were they? <laughs> yeah, my old Hillers and Bradsby scotch plates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I look at them today and I keep thinking, how the hell did I ever hit those clubs? Really? How far you know, they did looked, you hit uh, the one? Yeah, the one iron looks like a, a complete butter knife. No loft, no nothing on it, very small blade. And I used to just hit the heck out of that thing. I could hit it high, low, hook it, slice it. I mean, it was just, it was absolutely amazing. But, hey, you know, we uh, times change, and you got to change with them. So, and the um, clubs today are much easier to hit, trust me. Well, they are. That is that, of course. Um, talking about, like, so that, that drive on 18 on the 90th hole when you were playing in Vegas in 83, like, how far would you have hit that drive? Oh, it probably went about 210, but sure looked like it went a lot longer. <laughs> you know, I, uh, <laughs> I got to tell you, I used to be a long hitter. Um, and I parked it out, I parked it out there. Do I had like a, I think it was a four wood into the final green. I was going to take a, a two or three iron or even the one iron. I said, no, I better make sure I get it over the water because you have to fly it over water. And I hit the prettiest little four wood in there. So. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I'd probably say 260, 265, maybe 270 yeah. in that area, which was, uh, back then, that was a long poke. Do you, so you still have all your clubs. Do you have, like, a, a kind of museum, I guess, at your house of, of a lot of your old no, stuff? No, there's nothing a museum at all in my house. No, if I don't use them, I give them. I usually give them to the kids. Let the kids have them. Let them enjoy them, you know, get them cut down and... Uh, let the junior golfers have it. Or if somebody asks me for a club, I'll, I'll be more than happy to oblige them. I'll give them to them. Nice. It's, I don't want them sitting around just rusting, you know, just go back and look at it. Heck, far, I want somebody to use them. Was it, did you use a Balata ball back in the day? Yeah, I sure did. That's the one you used to be able to look at and cut it. Yes, we did. So was there a lot more backspin on that ball then? Well, <laughs> those balls were so soft. If you just barely skinnied one, you opened it wide open where you could look into the rubber bands that uh, used to, that's what the balls used to be wound in were rubber bands before the 
the solid golf balls came out. I mean, if you think about players these days, how they have everything. I mean, as you say, like the clubs have changed so much and all their like the 60 degree clubs, hybrids, everything, using TrackMan and stuff. How would some of these guys have coped back in the day without all of that? Well, I think they would have done fine. Oh, because they're talented enough to uh, to do what they're doing right now with the equipment they have. I mean, you can't blame the players. You know what I mean? Uh, do I think the players have more talent? No, probably not. Uh, the reason I say that, I mean, we don't. When, back in our day, we didn't have uh, sixty degree sand wedges or sixty four degree sand wedges. I mean, we did everything with a fifty six. You know, it was it was old school. We learned how to work with the equipment that we had. Uh, this day and age, it seems like you can prefab any club you want, and it's uh, it's okay by the rules. So I think maybe uh, if the USGA wants to change a rule, that they probably should have a a rule on sand wedge on the loft, uh, like no more than fifty eight, instead of having this sixties and sixty twos and sixty four degree sand wedges around the greens. He's, you know, so you can always tell when a, a young man has no clue how to chip. When they, every shot he pulls around the club, around the green is a, a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Well, that that tells me that uh, he has no imagination around the green. All he knows is I can take this club, I can swing it, and it'll pop it right up in the air. That's mm-hmm. that's how they play it. And obviously, with Chase Wright being your son-in-law, you're involved a lot in his game. And do you think there's too much data now? Sometimes, do you think guys are relying too heavily on TrackMan and and all these numbers that are just kind of filling their brain? Uh, I do. I think they get too uh, too wrapped up in it. Uh, but again, somebody, uh, you know, some people just like stats. I never was a stat man. I can tell you, I, I never, uh, the stats didn't, I didn't care how much I spun the ball. I just wanted it to react. Uh, you know, when I hit the shot, I wanted the ball to react. I didn't want it to come spinning 40 yards back to me. So I always played, tried to find that ball that just fun enough for me as the individual golfer, uh, something that worked for my my golf game and not somebody else's. Mm-hmm. And these days as well, you know, guys are traveling with bigger teams. That seems like they've got a coach for everything. Did you, how did you feel about that? Did you have like a, a coach or people that would be with you to help you? <laughs> yeah, I had a coach. I'd walk in there and look in the mirror. That was my coach. Yes. Uh, I got. You know what's amazing. Uh, I never, I never could blame anything on anybody. It was all self-inflicted wounds that I did myself. I couldn't uh, go to a coach and say, "Well, I understand why he had such a bad shot." Well, you know, I figured it out. I, I, it just happens. You're human. You're going to hit bad shots. You're not going to hit every shot just perfect, like everybody would like to. So you got to go uh, look in the mirror, and as Arnold Palmer always did, hit that belt another notch and come back out swinging. And that's what we did. I had uh, Rocco Media on the podcast last week because he had just won on PGA Tour Champions and he had changed all of his his equipment like five, six weeks ago. And he said for a long time before that, he knew something wasn't right, but he was just searching for it. But he said he was the only person that could figure it out. So he just had to keep trying and keep trying and figure out what it was that wasn't working so well. No, I have to agree with you. You know, you got to have the confidence in your, in your equipment. And uh, if you don't get the confidence then it's not going to perform. I don't care how good you're swinging at it. But if you've got the confidence in it and you know that uh, ball's only going to go a certain distance when you hit the shot, and it's such a big advantage. Yeah, I, I admire the guy for switching. I do.
-hmm. Yeah, I know, it's big. And it clearly paid off. So going back to Vegas, who were the kind of big acts then? Do you have any, what are your biggest memories of being in Vegas and going to see some of the big shows out there? <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of my guys are all passed away. Foster Book probably had the best show in Vegas at the time. Uh -huh. That'll, uh, I'm not sure if you remember Foster Book. But what, a, what a great guy, a great comedian. You know, he's played the, the drunk comedian. Uh, and he, he was one funny man. I mean, I personally knew him because he was from Louisville, Kentucky. Or, but Foster was one of the big shows. And, of course, Elvis was out. But uh, Foster's still at the frontier. And the frontier's not there anymore. They've, they've torn that down. But uh, he was one of the big ones. Did you go and see Elvis in Vegas? I did not. I, I kicked myself for not doing that. Oh. I did not. Yeah. What about I know, like, it was just too many people. He was sold out every night, so it was just it was too big a deal to try to get tickets to it. So even like, um, you know, a show like that that was sold out every night, being the golfers that were there, did you get perks? Did you get to, like, go to shows that maybe were sold out? No. <laughs> remember those favors come back to haunt you. Just remember that. <laughs> Yeah, you do me a favor. Oh God, I got to do you a favor. Okay, yeah. Do you have any other like kind of big Vegas stories that you remember? I mean, maybe how did you celebrate after you won the first one in '83? Yeah, I got an airplane and went to another tournament. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you celebrate. Yeah, I didn't. You know, we didn't. Uh, we didn't mess around much because we always, uh, being on the West Coast, we always took red eyes. Yeah. Red eyes out, so you didn't have to mess around flying all day long to get somewhere. So the red eyes. Well, the way we flew, and that's uh, that's what I did. I took a red eye out of there. Now, I did I did probably partake in a couple uh, of cocktails on the way to the airport. So <laughs> well, I mean, that's just part of it, you know. You have to, you have to, you have to mark these big events in your life. I mean, you have to celebrate them. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And '83, you won twice in that year. Finished second on the money list. Would you kind of count that as being one of the? I mean, obviously you had Masters victory and U.S. Open victory, but would you count '83 as being one of your kind of pivotal years in your golf career? Well, '83 was a great year. '79 was a beautiful year. '84 was good. You know, I had I trust me, I had forty, uh, well, forty-three, forty-four years out on the road to where I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Now, it wasn't all about uh, winning golf tournaments. It, you know, just being out there amongst the best in the world is uh, one of the greatest feelings in the world. Well, Fuzzy, thank you so much. So good to talk to you. And obviously this week being the, uh, the Shriners Hospitals for Children open, Vegas just has this extra pizzazz around it, this extra excitement. And it's always one of my favorite weeks on tour. That's a great week. I mean, for people just going out for the very first time, uh, go out there and enjoy it. See all the sights and sounds. Mm -hmm. But be careful. you got to have a time limit now. <laughs> Set your clock because they don't have any clocks in those casinos. <laughs> yeah, they have no clocks. They have that bright carpet, no the bright lights. I mean, they're oh, pumping yeah. the AC in there. <laughs> take it all take it all in and enjoy it because uh, that's one of the greatest places in the world. It really is. Right, Fuzzy, thank you so much for talking to me and we'll definitely catch up with you again soon. All right, sir. Thank you very much, Diane. Thank you. Bye. You bet. Bye-bye.
I love talking to him. Always great stories. And I don't know if you know this. I mean, it was reported in the news, but earlier this year, Fuzzy underwent a triple heart bypass. So he's doing so much better now. As we talked about, his daughter Gretchen got married just a few weeks ago to Chase Wright, who plays on tour as well. And Fuzzy's vodka is an enormous success. So lots to celebrate right now and really good to have him on the podcast. So the Shriners open this week in Vegas. Big week for Secret Golf. We have 10 of our guys in the field. As I'm recording this, Rian Gibson is first alternate. So hoping that he sneaks on in. But over the past five years, we've had someone from the team in the top 10. Last year, Ryan Palmer, who finished T7. In 2017, it was Patton, Kazire and JT Posten, both at T4. Pat Perez finished T7 in 2016. Patton was T2 in 2015. So he's definitely a name that I'm looking out for this week. And Russell Knox was solo third in 2014. Russell actually was playing in Scotland last week on the European tour and he hadn't committed to Vegas. He said, oh, I think the traveling is going to be too much and with the rest of my fall schedule, we'll see. But he played well last week, finished just outside the top 10 and was like, I can't miss it. I've done well before. I love the course. I love Vegas. So he flew straight out there. We'll be following all the guys on our Secret Golf social media. But in the field, we've got Bronson Burgoon, Brian Harmon, Patton, Russell, Jason Kokrak, Andrew Landry, Ryan Palmer, Pat Perez, JT Poston and Chris Stroud. Also, the SG Tour Golf Gaming app is up and running for this week. So get involved. If you haven't downloaded the app already, then it's in the App Store on iTunes. But load up your wallet with PayPal, create a game, invite your friends and pick your team of four play against them and see what kind of money you can rake in if you're going to hit the jackpot and all the Vegas cliches. I have a public game running this week if you want to be part of that. Last week I won like $25 on the app so I'm feeling pretty good. And the way that the tiers are working this week a little bit different to normal. So basically you can go in there and um, it, it's usually based on official world golf ranking, but we're doing something a little bit different this week. So you've really got the possibility to go in there and pick like a crazy power team. So have a go. My public game is called, what is it called? Diane's bash at the Vegas jackpot, which Jay, who I work with and do the SG Tour podcast with, he was like, that makes no sense whatsoever. But bash, I think maybe it's like a Scotland thing. It's like having a go at, like having a crack at, having a bash at. I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Try and win some money. That's what I'm trying to do anyway. Thank you very much for listening to the Secret Golf Podcast. Thank you to Fuzzy Zeller. Next week, Sandra Gull from the LPGA Tour is going to be on. And um, I'm looking forward to talking to her. She's got a really interesting perspective on a lot of things going on in golf and in her life right now. If you haven't subscribed already, you can do so on iTunes, on Spotify, and on all other podcast apps and websites. And I'll be back next week. Thank you.